Good tidings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome, welcome to the Good Tidings Radio Broadcast. I am your radio pastor, Brother David Pinkerton, coming to you from the studios of WXAN Radio here in Ava, Illinois, these beautiful windswept hills. If you're tuning in today on your car radio, we are at 103.9 FM. If you're tuning in over the internet, you will find us at www.wxanradio.com. And then when the page pulls up, click on Listen Live. And it'll direct you to another arrow. Click on that and listen. Folks, contact your friends. Let them know the Good Tidings radio broadcast is on. I want to encourage you today. Pray for Brother Danny, Leanne, Will, the good staff here at WXAM. Support WXAM financially. Support it uh, prayerfully. Folks, give, and it shall be given unto you. Acts, or rather, Luke 6.38. Bless God, this is a wonderful ministry, fertile ground to sow seed into. Sow your seed into WXAN Radio. Now, uh, I want you to uh, go with me to Acts chapter number 9. The book of Acts chapter number 9. This is the 20th day of the month of August here in the, our, the year of our Lord Jesus Christ, 2022. And we're glad that you're tuned in. So, Go to Acts chapter number 9, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 21. I want to speak to you today on back to school, on the subject of back to school. Right here in our region and across the United States of America, I would guess, right now is about the time that everybody's starting to go back to school from a summer break. And I want to take a look today from the scripture about the subject of being in school or going back to school. How God took Saul of Tarsus, saved him on the road to Damascus, and then now has renamed him Paul, which means builder. And he took Paul to school. And let's see how that equates or how that could apply to our lives today, that our loving Heavenly Father never leaves us alone. The Bible says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. So when something began and before it has ended, There is a construction phase. There is a growing phase. We are all under construction, if you will, growing in the grace and knowledge, or should be, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, since we trusted Him. Now, Acts chapter number 9 and verse number 21 through 30. But before we do, I want to share a few, a small, a couple, my, uh, my attempt, I should say, at trying to share a few funnies with you about back to school, okay? Maybe kind of corny little jokes here, but let's see how it goes, okay? These are just jokes, all right, about going back to school. Um, it was a little girl's first day at school, and the teacher was making out her registration card. And the teacher asked, what is your father's name? And she said, Daddy. Yes, the teacher said, I know he's your daddy, but what does your mother call him? Oh, the little girl replied, she don't call him anything. She likes him. (laughs) A girl student said to a boy student, too bad you flunked the test. How far were you from the right answers? The boy replied, two seats. (laughs) Any of you in school ever copy off the smarter girl or the smarter boy? I think maybe, if we're honest, probably most of us at least tried it or did it a few times. 
(laughs) The librarian said to the students, Please be quiet. The people next to you can't read. The little boy said, What a shame. I've been reading since I was six years old. (laughs) Oh, ladies and gentlemen, going back to school brings back fond memories, doesn't it? Maybe it brings back fear, dread, or some other emotions that we have put away from growing up. But anyway, let's go back to school. Let's take a look at Acts chapter number 9. And look at verse number 21. Let's see what God did in the life of Saul of Tarsus, who's been saved now, and he's going to be renamed Paul the Builder, okay? Acts chapter 9, verse number 21. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not... This he that destroyed them, which called on, the, on, his, on this name in Jerusalem, speaking of Saul, and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests. But Saul increased the more in strength, and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. Remember, he was on their side, and then he met Jesus. He had religion, and then he got salvation when he met Jesus Christ. And now he's, in, and now he's preaching Jesus. He went out to destroy Jesus and his followers, but when he met Jesus, he now fell in love, was born again, fell in love with preaching Christ now. And we all should do the same. Verse 24, Acts 9. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. That's pretty bad. His conversion brought up so much chaos and carnage and consternation that the religious people, the Pharisees and Sadducees, wanted to kill him now. He was on their team, but now they're looking at him as a traitor. You see, when you get rid of your religion and accept Jesus Christ by faith as your Savior, then you'll have biblical salvation, and he becomes your focal point, your Savior, and your Lord as you submit your life to him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, the son of consolation, the encourager, took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus Christ. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him. Verse 30. Which when the brethren knew... They brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified or encouraged or strengthened. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in comfort of the Holy Spirit were multiplied. Let's consider the conversion of Paul. Let's consider the thought of back to school. Since everybody now, our region, our children, the young people are are going back to school and even our university students and college students around the area. Saul's conversion, Saul of Tarsus's conversion, folks, was instantaneous. But his transformation into the apostle Paul took some time. And it all happened 
when he went back to school in three key locations. And folks, we, we're reminded today as we look at this, there are tools that God used in Saul's life in each one of these locations that Saul went through. The first place that God sent Saul after his conversion was to the desert of Arabia. And why was that? Consider this first point. Here's the first thing God's teaching him in back to school. As he's schooling Saul, he's taking him to solitude. Solitude. You see, in it, when he was in Arabia, God used the tool of solitude in teaching Saul. In verse number 23, the scripture says, And after that many days were fulfilled. You see, the Bible often takes long periods of time and compresses them into a short statement. In this case, a three-year-old, uh, basically a three-year period of time, according to Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, listen to the corresponding verse. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, to reveal his Son, that's Christ, in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. Now, folks, God was teaching using the tool of solitude in Paul's life here. God, Saul, Saul, now Paul, spent those three years in the Arabian desert alone with God. For three years, God himself taught Paul. Now, what's the application to our life? Here it is. If you study the lives of great men and women of God, Christians before us, each one of them can point to some formative time in their life that they had to spend time alone with God. They may have been surrounded by people, but they were at a point in which they felt that God was all they had. And in their solitude, God shaped and molded them. I understand this. Moses, think about him. You can divide his life into three 40-year segments. The first 40 years, he was in Pharaoh's house. The second 40 years of his life, he was in the same Arabian desert that we read about with Paul just a moment ago, just 3,000 years before. And in the third part of Moses' life, the last 40 years, we find him leading Israel out of Egypt to the promised land. Now, which of these three 40-year periods was the most important in Moses' life? Well, we'd be tempted to say that the latter, but I believe it would that it never would have happened. He would have never led them out of Egyptian bondage without being in solitude and in formation for God. God used him for 40 years, taught him in the Arabian desert in the middle of his life. What was the last thing that Moses did before leaving Egypt for the desert? He killed a man. In other words, he took matters into his own hands in the power of the flesh. So God sent him into the desert, and it took years to sandblast the pride out of Moses. Moses had to learn that when you come to the place that God is all you have, you'll find that God, Christ, is all you need. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there now. I've been there. 
King David, when he was anointed king of Israel, the reigning king, another king, Saul, became so enraged with jealousy that he actually chased David through the wilderness like an animal. And if you listen to the cry of David's heart in his seventh psalm, Psalm chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, listen, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces, while there is none to deliver. Now there's a man that's down, he's despondent, and a man who feels like God has forgotten him. And then in verse number 10 of Psalm chapter 7, David says, My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. David had made a conscious decision to trust God. He learned in the desert all alone that when you come to the place that God is all you have, you'll find that God is all you need. In Psalm chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemy say, I have prevailed against him. And those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I've trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. In solitude, he was learning that when you come to the place that God is all you have, you're going to find, again, he's all you need. Saul's faith, David's faith, grew in the midst of the garden of solitude. Jesus had an incredible three-year ministry, opening blind eyes, uh, opening deaf ears, and even raising the dead. And the greatest of all these miracles was saving lost souls. Jesus said, I am come to seek and to save that which was lost, Luke 19.10. But what do you do about Jesus from age 12 to 30? Nothing. Those were silent years, in solitude, obscurity, working in the carpenter's shop, no doubt communing with God in prayer, study, and meditation, and preparation. Then at the age of 30, Jesus didn't come on the scene and say, Hey, everybody, look, world, you're lucky. Look, I'm here. No, he didn't have direct mailing. He didn't have any social media announcement, any kind of PR blasts when he come on the scene. He didn't say, I'm available for meetings or conferences or healing services. No. Jesus went out into the desert alone for 40 days and 40 nights, and he fasted and whipped the devil personally before going to tell other people how to do the same. He began the ministry Jesus did in solitude, as he began each day in Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Now, I thank God, folks, for my biblical education. But let me tell you something. It's what I learned directly from the Lord himself in time alone with Jesus that matters and has made an impact in my life. Are you in a place of solitude? Let God do a deeper work in your soul during this time. Let Him do it. Have daily devotions in solitude. Do it yourself. Allow Jesus to do radical spiritual surgery in your life as He molds and shapes you as a vessel of clay in Him, the potter's hands. Saul came out 
of Arabia a different man. He went in a young man still scarred with hatred and bitterness and no doubt a lot of confusion, but he came out a tender-hearted Apostle Paul. He was old school when he entered, having been raised up under the Old Testament law. But when he went back out to school in the desert and graduated, throwing his tasseled cap in the air, saying, By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified, he went in with the Old Testament in his knapsack, to speak, and he came out with the book of Romans in his heart. Hallelujah. In the desert, God used a tool of solitude in Paul's heart. So God is using in school here as he schools Saul, who is now Paul. He's using the tool of solitude. The second tool he's using is suffering. Secondly, God sent Saul to Damascus, and there God used the tool of suffering. In Acts chapter number 9, verses 22 through 25, we find out, And Saul increased the more and more in strength, and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Now, what's going on here? There's suffering going on. God sent him to Damascus, and there God is going to use the tool of suffering in Paul's life. It says here in verse 25, the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. What's going on? God is using the tool of suffering. When Paul returned to Damascus from Arabia, he was a marked man. Many of them wanted to kill him. Can you imagine how he must have felt having to be smuggled out of town, down the wall in a basket, like some criminal. It was humiliating, but that was just a foreshadow of a lot more suffering, which was going to come into his life later. In verses 15 and 16, it says, Suffer. If you read in 2 Corinthians for the listing of what Paul actually really endured, he endured 195 stripes from whippings and beatings. He was stoned, he was left for dead, he was shipwrecked a night and day in the deep, he had persecutions in prison, cold, hungry, and thirsty, not to mention mention his disfiguring eye disease. And they say that the measure of a person's character is what it takes to make them quit. Well, he must have had a lot of character, hallelujah. Now, what does it make take to make you mad and to make you quit on God and quit serving God? What's it take to make you quit going to church? Preacher says something that you misinterpret. Someone says something you don't think it's as warm in there as it should be. Who knows? But what's it take to make you quit serving God, to quit going to church? If the Apostle Paul was a church member in 2022 in America, his suffering list might read like this. Quote, no one shook my hand. Oh, nobody called me and told me they were glad I was here. Or he might have said, I didn't, I didn't care for the person's tone when they said that. Or they would maybe even say, they didn't give me the ministry that I wanted to do. Or the preacher stepped on my toes. End of quote. It was back to school for Saul. And this was the school of hard knocks. And there's something, some things we stubborn human beings will only learn through suffering. And God knows this. God looked down and saw you folks like a diamond in the rough. And now he's knocking off the rough edges. 
His hammer and his chisel aren't always pleasant. Amen. But they're very much necessary. He puts us through the fire to refine us. So the impurities rise to the top and there comes forth a more valuable product. You see an illustration. A sculptor took a block of marble and carved a beautiful horse in it. Someone asked, how did you do that? The sculptor said, easy. I looked at the marble block. I imagined the horse. And then I chipped away everything that didn't look like it. And it's in the valley that we learn some of our most and our most some of our best lessons rather and God's chipping away at many of us right now folks just pray this and mean it from your heart lord help me to learn what i'm supposed to learn through this suffering so i don't have to repeat it so god used the tool of solitude in paul's life the tool of suffering and he uses those in our lives too and thirdly and finally as he took paul back to school He used the tool of seasoning, seasoning. And then thirdly, God sent him, Paul, to Jerusalem. And God used the tool of seasoning on him. A seasoned Christian has some experience under their belt. In verse number 26, why did he go to Jerusalem? Galatians chapter 1 says it was to see Peter. Now pay attention to the word that you find see, S-E-E, in this text. It's used 1,400 times in the Bible, but this is the only time that it's used in the Greek word historio, where we get the word history. So you could say that Paul went to Jerusalem to do a history on Peter and the disciples. You see, Paul had the doctrine. God had given it to him directly, but he didn't have the experience the other disciples had. He didn't walk with Jesus for three years like Peter did. He wasn't there when Jesus healed the multitudes like Peter was. He didn't witness the feeding of the 5,000 like Peter did. He wasn't there when Jesus arose. He wasn't even saved yet. Peter was. And for 15 solid days, he sat down with Peter and the disciples and said, Okay, give me the background. Tell me the whole story. Give me the details. Don't leave anything out. Peter said, Well, Basically, it all started one day when my brother Andrew walks in, gets this and says, hey, we found Christ. And the moment I laid my eyes on him, this is Peter talking to him and I'm narrating it here. And the moment I laid my eyes on him, I knew it was true. And speaking of eyes, I know this is taking a rabbit trail, but let me tell you about when I walked on water, when I kept my eyes on Jesus, I could do it. But when I looked away, I began to sink. And the rest of the guys laughed, and they laughed at me. This is Peter talking about his experience to Paul. But let me tell you, none of them ever walked on water. And Jesus could look into my eyes, buddy. Yes, indeed. He could see right through me. And after I denied him at his trial, from a distance our eyes met again. And oh, the power of that moment. I'll never forget his eyes. And Paul must have said, hey, you skipped over a lot of stuff. Let's go back. Well, Peter's saying, hey, listen. Let me, let me tell you what it's all about. Here's the thing. Seasoning. Every Christian needs seasoning. Before you can really go out and do the ministry you want to do, you need to learn from experienced, spirit-filled Christians. Experienced, spirit-filled Christians. You need a mentor. I've been blessed to be able to mentor some 20-some ministers in the gospel of Christ and missionaries. Thank God. What a privilege. That's an honor for me. And I still love to 
take new and upcoming preachers and deacons and mentor and teach them the ways of God to do the effective work in the office of a deacon or a pastor. So seasoning, we all need seasoning. So I want to ask you a question. We don't have much time left. Well, what happens? In Acts chapter 11, after Peter and Paul have this conversation, in Acts 11, verse 25 and 26, the Bible says, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus. Here comes Barnabas, the encourager, for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. So what happens? Barnabas hears about Saul's conversion. Now he's Paul. He opens the door, and there's his old buddy. When Paul does, opens the door, it's Barnabas. And it's time for ministry, Barnabas is saying. Hey, let's roll. Let's go do something for Jesus. Let's win souls. Let's preach the gospel. Let's do the work that God has called us to do. After Paul was seasoned, he was allowed to go. Now, I want to ask you something, Christian friend. Maybe you're a preacher that's busting to get out there. Maybe God is speaking to you today through this message. You're in a holding pattern right now. Ask yourself this question. What is God trying to season you? What's he trying to teach you? What's he trying to do in your life right now? What tool is God using in your life right now, Christian friend? Solitude, suffering, seasoning. Remember this. It's back to school. It's all a learning experience. So let us, let God take us back to school. We're going to be, and I want to remind you in this Good Tidings radio broadcast to pray for the administration, the faculty, the superintendents of all of our schools here in Southern Illinois. Pray for the safety and for learning to take place. Pray for the guards. Pray for the office staff. Pray for the cafeteria staff. Pray for everyone involved, the volunteers, the paras, the substitute teachers. I am one of those. Pray for all of us to be used of God for a safe, good year of teaching and instruction. But listen close. If you're not saved, ask Christ to save you today. If you're not sure you're going to heaven, Jesus died. He, he, He died on the cross and shed his blood as a substitute for you. He was buried in the tomb, and then he was resurrected the third day. And then God will take the righteousness of Jesus and apply it to your life if you will, by faith, trust Jesus to be your Savior. Recognize you're a sinner. You can't save yourself. You have no hope of heaven, my friend. And bow your head humbly now and in sincerity of heart and ask Jesus to come into your heart. Follow me in this prayer if you would like to be saved and know you're going to heaven. Jesus. Forgive me of all of my sins. Come into my heart and save me. I'm trusting you and you alone to be my Savior. Now, folks, that's the second birth, the spiritual birth. Let us know if you've trusted Christ by faith as Savior. Contact me, drdave13 at gmail.com, and we'll get you some new Christian literature. So, back to school. It's that time of year. The school bells in our minds will be ringing. Children will be getting up. Parents will be hurrying about trying to get their kids to school. It's all a good thing. And we're grateful, Dorinda and I are, that we got to take our son through school. And now he's out in Buffalo, New York, doing well. Brett, we love you. And uh, love those kids. Enjoy the school time, folks, because it will go fast. Listen, 
Good tidings to every one of you. Jesus loves you. Jesus is coming again. God is still in control. Don't worry about the bad news that comes across in the media. Look in the Bible and let God encourage your heart. Is God taking you to school like he did Saul? I would say he is because he's working in our life. Let him do it. And then get out and serve Jesus Christ. Win souls, preach the gospel, and glorify God. This is Good Tidings. Good tidings of great joy. Oh, yes. Emmanuel. God is with us. Oh, yes. For unto you is born this day, Savior Christ our Lord. So fear not. Fear not. Yes, sir. 